Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Final hour Monday edition of OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. We are live each day from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Withrow's back with us later this week alongside Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. And we're hitting the headlines. We're going to get into Malik Willis and a report out from those covering the Seahawks uh, about where they had him graded. We'll get into that. Baker Mayfield as well. He has discussed the end to what was the final game for him as a Cleveland Brown. We'll give our thoughts on what he had to say there and ultimately what's going to happen there. That's all coming up. Mike Pereira will be with us. Fox Sports Rules Analyst. Uh, former head of officiating for the National Football League. Now he's doing the same thing for the USFL. Always a great chat with Mike Pereira. That's coming up in 20 minutes. Paul, how was the weekend? How was Mother's Day weekend? Uh, very nice weekend. Went uh, to NSC Nashville Soccer Club again yesterday. Took uh, Teresa on Mother's Day. She had a big time. Simon was way into it. But the day before, we spent literally all day in Columbia, Tennessee, which I have to say is not reminiscent of all of Columbia University in the city of New York, which is far, far <laughs> prettier. Um, at 12-year-old baseball, a one-day tournament, which was a lot of baseball and a lot of waiting for baseball. And uh, Simon's team, Tennessee Aces, um, is, is a growing team, let's say. They have a ways to go. And they lost during the day. Um, Coming together. 7-1 to a team that they saw again in the elimination bracket they went down 4-1 it came back to 4-4 they went down 5-1 they came back to 5-5 and got set up for extra innings they did or the opponent they did okay so they were down 4-1 aces came back down 5-4 came back 5-5 in the fifth didn't know what the extra inning rules were going to be then the guy on our team who knows everything, an assistant coach, said, I don't know if they're going to international or California here with what, they, with what they're going to do in extra innings. So it turns out they went, quote, unquote, international. Okay. They, they put the last three guys who were up the last inning on base, load the bases, and there's one out. What would, what would just for clarification, do you know what California yes, California is like MLB. Run around oh, on second. Run okay, side. all right. All right, so bases loaded, one out. We score one run. So we're, we're up first. We're away. We score one run on a pass ball. Then we have our biggest guy, our, our power hitter, but who doesn't run well, is on third base. Our coach is trying to be aggressive. Suicide squeeze. Kid pop, <laughs> pops it up and uh, gets double thrown up. out of third. Double, yeah. double play. So we're up one. So we're like, all we need is two outs to win this game. Huge upset. Two outs. They come up. They score a run. We, we look doomed. 
guy hits what looks like a clean single to left, left field. Our guy comes out of nowhere, slides and catches it on his hip, <laughs> doubles their guy off third base. The drama. All right? The drama. So tied again. We do it again. We score one. They score one. So we go into the third inning. Simon leads off. Three on. Smashes a ball to the shortstop who can't handle it. He bobbles it. He's under pressure because Simon's fast. He guns it to first, throws it over the first baseman. Base is clear. Simon ends up on second, steals third. Somebody drives in Simon. Four runs. We score four runs. We're golden. All we need is two outs with four runs. <laughs> they score five runs and win. Was it, uh, we lose 12-11. Was, um, was the finish at least explainable? Meaning, like it's not like a pass ball and a bad call by the ump, and then you know it, it well, led to multiple runs. It we was had, like someone hit it off the fence well, or something? We had several pass balls that got us in bad trouble. But then it was second and third. Clean single to center okay, field. So at least center fielder at least threw it, it up the line, but we, we didn't have a play. It was more play. about the team making a play than it was. Yeah, they made a play. Wow. My God, the drama was insane. Both what, sides were going what crazy. What were the parents like on oh, the opposite side? Oh, they were, they were pretty cool. They were cool? I mean, they had pounded us early in the day. Their coach was very complimentary. Their coach was too complimentary because like, they're triple A, and we're like A or double A. And he was like, uh, you know, I told my guys I wanted us to fall behind in this game and make a comeback. That was our goal, you know, today. And I was like, that's kind of snotty. Like, you beat the hell out of us early. Now you tell your kids, <laughs> hey, let's fall behind so we can practice coming back. Hey, that, that, but he told his that kids, sounds like, like a Withrow move I, don't know right if, there. I don't know if this is the same team we played earlier in the day, the way they, that you were fighting us. We got two really good pitching performances. Chad uh, was unable to coach Evie's team. Of course, Evie was unable to make it, too. This was Friday, Friday night. night. Because she had um, a recital or something, I think. Yeah, she and one of her best teammates. Okay, so they lost. They lost their first game. Devastating. Well, the Red Sox softball team lost. And it was the one game that Chad and Evie were not present for. I, I think you can draw the conclusion that they need to be there to win. I haven't seen them play, but their one loss came when they weren't there. But on Saturday morning... They sweated they also, it out. They did. It was, a, it was not a blowout any longer. And my guess is Nine, the parents six. of this league... Um, not a part of Chad's team, but elsewhere, they they think the league's catching up to them, and the regression is happening with the the Red Sox softball team, which I'm sure motivates Chad very much. Yeah, we don't know when the next game is in that one. Uh, Simon's team, we're going down to uh, the Atlanta suburbs this weekend. Maybe catch the Braves game. We don't know until the schedule's. You going to Buckhead? Where are you heading? Uh, Marietta. Get a, get a little baseball in and a Braves game. That, that'd be great. I've you not should, been there yet. You should, so we were hoping to go, but we don't know what try their to get in that hotel. schedule is yet. You should go ahead and look that up. No, it's a, you have to stay in certain hotels connected to the tournament. Every one of these uh, things. It's a this scam. racket. It's a scam. It's this a racket. racket. Hey, it's a um, racket. look out for those international extra inning rules. <laughs> I didn't know about the California or international. I love that. <laughs> are, there, are there other options or just two? According to this guy. you put two on base and not two. three? <laughs> those are the two. Second and third instead of just second? It did exactly what it was. Well, it's created to do two things. End the game and create some drama. It created some drama. It didn't end the game. Three extra innings. I, I love it. Did you see the, uh, the report from ESPN where uh, the Seahawks, according to an anonymous source. I within, did not see this. They, they had Malik Willis. I won't call him undraftable. 
But that's essentially what they're saying. They're, they're saying that he was, he's nowhere close to being ready to play at the NFL level at the quarterback position. If you're, if you're saying that, the Seahawks are effectively saying they, they had Malik Willis as undraftable. Uh, that is way on the opposite end of the spectrum of where the, everyone's reacting to the quote-unquote value of Malik Willis in the third round. Pete, there are a lot of conflicting opinions yeah. on him. Pete Prisco agrees with that. Undraftable? I, I don't think he said undraftable, but he said what he was playing at Liberty was not quarterback, pretty much. Well, I mean, he's, yeah, well, he's one, also one not... Read, one read and run. It's also not De'Eric King at Miami who, I mean, he's now what he's... He may not even play quarterback at the next level. We may see him completely new position. I mean, it's yeah. it's just been determined that he's not uh, the QB and at best a backup. I don't... Malik Willis... I mean, it, do you fall on the side of the the draft analysts are calling it a value pick because they had him rated so high? Or do you think that they truly believe in their rating and they're, they're saying that third round, this guy's nowhere close to a third round. He's much higher than that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I Look, Mike Silver or, wrote Are they this backing up their ago. thoughts from the last three months? This is, part, I think, more B. I, I think, you know, a lot of them get a lot of information from teams. I don't think they got a lot of information from teams on Malik Willis because if they did, they would have had him rated lower because the league clearly had him rated lower. Quarterback needy teams passed on him three times. Um, I, I, this is a big part of why I don't like the draft. And Mike Silver wrote a very articulate column about this maybe 10 years ago. The thing sets up that the media says, here's what's supposed to happen. And then we grade everything based on if it happens that way or not. Right. It's kind of a silly game because Although we know the stats pretty also, little. You know, my, uh, you can also look up and see the success rate of first round picks, second round picks, third, and the the life, the, the the career expectancy of each of those rounds and where those players sit on a roster. Right, but but even in the I first mean, round, the the miss rate is a lot higher than you would expect. Oh. it's a lot less predictable. It's not a science. It's a it's a well, a, a more I, of an art than a science. I, for I, a I lot don't. Of guys. I'm not. I'm not trying to take up for the the draft analyst here, but I mean, there are scouts that walk through the door that think they're the smartest dude in the oh, room, yeah. and they they have a hit rate of like twenty percent. Oh, absolutely agree. You know, someone stood on a table for Isaiah Wilson, and he probably is still employed by the Tennessee Titans right now. Yeah, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's that's why the whole thing I think should be moved up. And the league would benefit more from drafting like March. get the guys in and let people learn about them after they're in, see them practice a little bit and talk about hype them up once they're in the building instead of have all this hype about the unknown stuff and the prediction season. Why do I want to hear about all this prediction that's a bunch of fluff instead of let the team make their choices. They have a month too long to assess and reassess. Yeah, and you can second guess yourself. Get them in here, yeah. and then the fans could see them. The media can see them. Could talk to them. You see them run around a little bit, and you have you start to get team fans start to get to know the players who are on their team. Isn't that a healthier kind of publicity? Either way, you're going to get huge publicity. But I think the one kind of publicity is better than the other kind of publicity. And just because it's always been that way doesn't make it better.
or because it's been that way for the last uh, 30 years or whatever. Well, I, I, I yeah, I, I tend to, well, I mean, I understand that line of thinking. You know, the, the Seahawks line of thinking here, um, you could say Malik, you could have Malik Willis as nowhere close. And again, that's, that's an off the record statement. On the record, uh, Schneider, the general manager for, for Seattle, his quote was, it's hard for rookies. This is post-draft. It's hard for rookies. It's very hard on rookies to come in here and compete right away. You have to have unique, unique qualities. Continuously throughout the draft, it just didn't fall the right way for one reason or another. He's speaking to the question of why they didn't go quarterback. Keep in mind, this is a franchise right now that has Geno Smith and Drew Locke as their quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, they have and, terrible quarterbacks. And, and so for them to say that none of – they're not just saying that about Malik Willis. They didn't take a guy. So – they're, they're saying that none of these quarterbacks um, were worthy of even exercising a lottery ticket on. They had that, 9, 40, 41, 72. They had back-to-back picks in the second round. And, and 40, 41, and, they, and 109. So they passed on Malik Willis four times before the Titans took him. And, you know, they were at 109. So... You know, they, they put their money where their mouth is in terms of, of you know, yeah. not, not well, they've put their money a move. They didn't make a move behind, with anybody. They, they're, they're putting all of their, quote-unquote, faith uh, behind Geno Smith and Drew Locke, which is just odd. Um, and we, we've, gone, we've gone down the discussion of Baker Mayfield and why or why not they're, they're in, not in, interested in him. And that doesn't seem like they're interested at all in Malik Willis or any of these guys. Um, I don't know. It's just a strange outlook on the position because at worst, you're drafting a backup quarterback and at best, you hit on a lottery ticket. I mean, that, that's at, at that position and where these guys fell, the value, I, I lean more towards the value of the position than I do these guys aren't ready to start immediately. I could say the same thing about Drew Locke. He's not ready to start in Seattle either. Well, they've got two firsts and two seconds next year. I could see a a scenario. Look, John Schneider is a pretty good GM. If they just think none of these guys are going to be anything, then then they don't see value as a third or a fourth, right? I I mean, if you showed them a cornerback and you said this guy is, quote-unquote, a good value in the third or the fourth, but they said, I don't think he can play, then you're not taking him. And so, to their effect, and I'm going to give you a contrast in a second, to their effect, they're not worth any of our draft capital, right? And we've got two firsts and two seconds next year. If quarterback doesn't work at all for us this year, which we're all presuming it's not going to, they're in position to go get, if not their first or second choice, their third choice next year. Now, I read a good friend of the show, Albert Breer, today, and he went into really probably too much detail about the Falcons. But he said of Desmond Ritter, you can go with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter this year. If one of them pans out, great. And if you're feeling good about them next year, you're in position where all of a sudden you have new cap life because all of their dead cap is behind them next year and you can go forward. If you feel good about one of them, great. If you don't, you can go quarterback again. So he's saying Ritter as a third rounder could be a sunk cost who's only a backup from there, right? And, I, and they'll have a feeling because Ritter will play this year. Now, the Titans, you know, they're hoping Malik Willis really pans out. 
Can you get enough feedback off Malik Willis not playing this year that you say, well, he's never going to be more than a backup for us at best and go again next year? Maybe, probably not. Probably you're, or you bring in you bring in another guy and pair him. Another right now, if Tom a, Brady's available next year, right? right. And you're getting again. out from Tannehill. Yep. You know, and then Willis is just a backup. Yes, but well, I think the, the Titans probably don't have investment. enough feedback after one year to be done with Willis or to say he's. We need another one. Still, Atlanta sounds like feels like they're in that position. They they said Ritter's too good to pass up here, but in a year. We could have enough feedback to decide we'll go again. And bo- I mean, a lot of these teams spent going back to the time spent on the draft. Corral's probably the same. They uh, these teams spent a ton of time bringing in and analyzing and dissecting these quarterbacks. Yeah. And I think eventually you talk your as a quarterback needy team, other than Seattle, and I still don't understand how they don't talk themselves into trying it out. Because at worst, at worst you have a backup that's better than the backup you have. Like, that, that's how I would view it. They clearly didn't, and more power to them. But you talk yourselves into that position more often than not. Corral's the same, I think. Because Carolina will be out from under Darnold. Corral will be cheap. If they're not in love with him next year, oh, and, he'll and we play. know how much David think, Tepper, he'll play. Yeah. And we know how much David Tepper wants a big fish. If they're not absolutely sold on Corral next year, veteran market or... Another high draft, a high, no, not another high draft pick, a high draft pick to go with their middle draft pick, yes. Corral. And then you say, we'll have two and we'll, we'll let it go from there. And the, the new guy, if he's a number one pick, first round pick, he'll obviously be the favorite in a battle with Matt Corral. And Matt Corral probably be a backup if, if well, we didn't love what he did in his first year. Uh, and then we're just talking about the Panthers, but a year from now, Think about the veteran quarterbacks who could be back on the market. Like, and then who would join them? Tannehill could be available. Yes. You know? And uh, for a lot of teams, Tannehill would be fantastic. Wentz could be back on the market again. Like, there are contract situations and how they shape up. So I think if Wentz Brady, is back Rogers, on the market, and, he's toxic. Uh, Garoppolo should be healthy. Um, there, uh, Kyler Murray. I mean, there are multiple guys who come to mind for me that were not being mentioned this year that will be a year from now. I think if Wentz is back on the market, he's toxic. Yeah, and but if he's back on the market, he's a backup. He's a ba- He's coming in as a backup, and it's known he's the backup option. Yeah. No, no doubt. Uh, but maybe that's what you need. He's a perfect fit for a guy if Corral gives you a season similar to and you feel good about what him. we saw from Justin Fields. You know, like you, you don't know, but you feel like you can build around him. Again, all scenarios that you have to. But in order to have that set up for you, you've got to be in the market to have a developmental guy like that. And Carolina went that way. Seattle did not. And Seattle's probably going to beat them to the punch on high draft pick next year, which ultimately is their goal. I mean, I, I think you know that that's the elephant in the room that everyone's not wanting to say about the league, but there's a team that's quite willing to be the number one or number two overall pick a year from now and get the quarterback that they They're want. They're also rooting like hell against Denver in that division. They want Denver to be the last place team in that division yep. and not take off. Right. And this is uncommon because Seattle has been quite comfortable not being in the first round for it's, a long it's time. It's odd, which they makes it ninth, even more and now odd. they're going a different direction. That makes the decision for Pete Carroll to come back even – that's more weird to me. That's weirder to me that he came back at 71 years old to coach a team in a rebuild. Makes me just think he's not a retiring type. Well, but I'm even looking at it from Seattle's standpoint. Like, why, 
if, if you're going through the rebuild process, go through it with the coach that's going to be there through the rebuild. Well, I think he's going to be there through the rebuild. I, th- I think they're basically telling him you could stay as long as you want. That's odd in today's league. I think they think of him as uh, more special than a lot of us do based on because there was talk yeah, that he could be out after could almost, this year as a surprise guy. Yeah, you could almost think of him as uh, – I don't. I, I mean, you can't because he didn't run Marshawn Lynch. They, <laughs> they threw the pick. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. He's almost a two-time Super Bowl winner. And if you're a two-time Super Bowl winner, and, you can kind of steer the car. Yeah, and they, they just had their first losing season of that regime since Russell Wilson was there. It was remarkable what they did and the consistency that they had. But I think he's viewed as better than he is. He's kind of been stubborn. It took him a while to let Russ cook. Uh, yeah. And he didn't even let Russ cook enough. And ultimately, they, they, they dealt him. I don't know. We'll have a new story on Seattle in two years. We'll, we'll see. Are they doing a quick rebuild? Mike Pereira, friend of OutKick and uh, Fox Sports rules analyst. He's the head of officiating for the USFL. I really like the rules that they've implemented in the league and uh, the tweaks that they've made along the way. We, we discussed those and what could carry over uh, to the – the NFL long-term, what are they paying attention to? We'll also discuss uh, the new officials that are entering the NFL, many of which have been calling games for Pereira's USFL. That's next on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. I'm batting 1,000 when it comes to flipping channels and finding the USFL over the weekends, and I have been uh, thoroughly impressed with the access that these broadcasts give the viewer. Uh, a lot to build on as uh, a league moving forward. But one of the things that I think other football leagues, the NFL in particular, can build on is the access that we're given through the officials and through guys like our next guest, Mike Pereira, who is the uh, head of officiating for the USFL. Mike, uh, under, the, under the weather, I'm, I'm told, a bit today with the voice. So, Mike, let us know if you, uh, if you feel like you can't make it through. But the fact that you're sitting down tells us you're a gamer. Great to see you, man. Hope you're doing well. I am uh, surviving. I guess I talk so much during the USFL games <laughs> that uh, I've worn my voice out. Is there any chance the NFL would take on a role or, or, or highlight a role similar to yours where we get the behind-the-scenes, mic'd-up aspect of reviews? Is, do you see that ever happening? 
Uh, yeah, I do. I, I mean, you're seeing it basically now in all the spring leagues, a little bit more in the USFL um, because we have a single replay center. Um, but, you know, they watch trends and they see what fans like. And and fans do like the transparency. And, um, you know, the beauty of the NFL is the preseason and, and they can experiment with things in the preseason to see how they work. And, and I'm sure it is something that they – may look at. Um, listen, replay doesn't need to be a big secret. I mean, what what is secretive about it? I mean, you're like I'm doing now. I'm reviewing plays. And when something comes up that I think it needs the game needs to be stopped to look at, I stop it. I discuss it with the referee. I discuss it with the other people in my room. With the USFL, I discuss it with the on-air talent, yeah, for God's yeah. sakes. And then and then I make the decision. So um you know, it's kind of like a little bit officiating for many, many years. It was always just kind of let's brush it under the carpet. You know, let's not talk about it. Well, now they do talk about it more. And and um, I wouldn't be surprised if they open it up to some degree. You guys uh, were eager to keep the games tight, right? Three hours. Um, and if I read correctly, they they were longer than that. And so you tweaked something to try to get it under talk us through what the thought pattern was there. Um, and if it's achieving, uh, in the couple games you've had since the tweak, what you wanted. Well, you know, we wanted the games to be played in under three hours. Look at, we're dealing with broadcast windows. And, um, so you, you, you want that less than three hour game, but we weren't getting it. And when you, really looked at why we weren't getting it. It was because the number of plays. I mean, it was amazing. In our games, we had more more plays than the NFL has in their games. <laughs> and so, therefore, <clears throat> excuse me, therefore, the games were longer. So, we, we needed to take some plays out of the game. And so, how did we figure that? Um, we didn't want to affect the second and fourth quarter, but with all the incomplete passes that we've had in the USFL, let's just – Let's just start it after the incomplete pass in the first and third quarters and see what happens. And um, what happened through four games, it worked. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the in the respect that three of the four games were two hours and 53 minutes, 252, 250. Um, one game was 301, but gosh, there was 25 penalties and three reviews. Um, if we hadn't changed this rule, that one would have been probably three hours and 30 minutes. Um, so it's worked. Plus, I mean, I do think, although it's not the popular approach, but, you know, if you if you have more plays in a USFL game versus an NFL games and you've got 38 players versus 46, I think you have to be somewhat concerned about the attrition rate um, and injury. So um, overall, it was a good move. I think there, you know, there's some people that like it and there's some players that don't. <clears throat> but I think it was one we had to make. Mike Pereira, our guest, uh, USFL head of officiating, and uh, of course with Fox Sports as the rules analyst. Mike, uh, mm-hmm. as best you can, and you're, you're always great at this, will you explain the NFL developmental process of how they will keep a tab on the, the, the officials at the college level? I'm, I know several of them were working under you at the USFL. In fact, one of the guys, Height, I believe, was uh, he was the – white hat for the national championship game 
He's been moved up to the NFL. He's been working with the USFL. How many of the officials have, have called games in the USFL that we will now see move up to a crew uh, this fall in the NFL? And how does the NFL go about grading that and, and having that program in place? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's 10 new officials going in this year, and uh, eight of them are coming out of our USFL program. Pretty much what I expected um, because – we took our 35 officials basically out of what is called the officiating development program, um, ODP. We used to have that back in my days. Um, it was called NFL Europe. Um, and (laughs) it was, it was a fantastic program. And, um, but then when that went away, um, over time, they came up with this idea of let's take our maybe 50, our prospective 50 candidates that we have that we think are the best, and let's put them in this program. And what can we do with them? Well, you can invite them to the clinic. So they would go to the regular NFL clinic. You can take them to preseason games. You can can give them rules tests. Uh, There's there's lots of things that you can do to better prepare them for that first game in the NFL because the difference is immense, man. I remember going through it. Now, I came out of the Western Athletic Conference. And I thought that was a pretty fast league, you know, a lot of offense. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, what the heck? I'll, I'll handle it. Holy moly. I was, like, shocked at the speed of not just the skill players, but I was shocked at the speed of the linemen and the linebackers and and uh, on both sides of the ball. So the adjustment period is, uh, is incredible. So um, they're really at a good point right now with having the USFL because – Um, they get an opportunity to give more people snaps under what are basically NFL rules with some revisions. Um, And it's not an easy level to work. I mean, I I would say in some ways trying to determine what is a foul in the USFL versus what is a foul in the NFL might be difficult because we're more liberal in the USFL letting things go because the skill level is clearly different. But um, I, I eight out of 10 was good. Um, I'm sure that next year, depending on how many openings there are, I know Paul and I could have an ongoing discussion. Are we bringing in too many new officials? Um, but if there's another six or seven, I would not be uh, surprised if, you know, five or six do come out of our program again. I mean, they're at every game. The NFL officiating staff is at every game looking at the officials working they, they go to every post-game conference when they're there and they get to spend time and talk with the officials. So it's been a very mutually beneficial relationship. A guy I don't think has, uh, has come through your league, uh, but has been a field judge in the SEC, Trey Boger, son of Jerome Boger. I, I don't know if you can offer us any kind of scouting report on him. Um, Jonathan and I are hoping he doesn't have his father's officiating DNA um, because his, his father, Jerome, is our least favorite um, NFL referee. Well, you know, it's just like, uh, and there have been others, there are some officials that just seem to travel under the dark cloud wherever they go. And, um, and of course, it's the referee that gets all the notice. So if uh, Trey Boger ends up, as a back judge um, in the in the NFL and stays there, you probably won't hear much about him. But I mean, I will say this: Trey is a really good official and uh, and did excel in the um, SEC. I was a little bit surprised. 
I mean, I will say that I didn't really have him as one of our eight, um, but they look at potential. And, and of course, you also look at the fact, I mean, father, son and brother matchups in the NFL are really, I mean, there's a lot of them on the Paganelli's. There's three Paganelli brothers. There's the Bergmans. You've got two brothers that are Bergman and a son of Jeff that's probably on his way soon. Father sons, um, you, you've had that. Baines, um, the father that was a terrific line judge, has now got two sons, two sons that are in. There, there's something about uh, a son whose father officiated in the league. He understands it more. He's seen the perspective from his father's point of view. And, and I always said that. I mean, when I looked at potential candidates, when I saw sons of officials who had worked in the league, or even sons of officials that worked in college football, that was something that in some ways could sway my decision because I knew they would see it from a perspective that others hadn't. I know each of your crews, Mike, uh, worked two games a weekend, right? Did, did, did you uh, go into it with that idea in mind, or, or did you come to that realization, oh, by the way, we could, we could do this crew one day, they can call the next morning or, or early afternoon game? Has that worked out well with the crews doing multiple games on the weekend? You know, I think it has. I mean, look at it, spring football. And so I didn't want to occupy there every weekend. And so the way that I could get around that was to work, have them work doubleheaders and, you know, also, I mean, the USFL doesn't pay what the SEC pays. I mean, they make a they make a good fee, but if you work them two games, then they actually do. And they're young. I mean, right. Hell, I couldn't get out there and work a quarter right now. <laughs> these, these young these young people can get out there and work two games on consecutive days without a problem. And I think they appreciate it because they work a game. And then they get the evaluation and the constructive criticism. And then they get to go right back out the next day and work again. So I think if you asked every one of them, they would say that they like that because they work a weekend and then most of them get two weeks off. Um, one will only get one week off and that rotates. And so it doesn't take away any more time that's already taken away from their families, uh, at least not to any great extent. How are you able to turn that evaluation so quickly for them? Well, technology is everything right now. You know, I mean, used to be back in my day in the NFL. I mean, once the game was over, I wouldn't get the video for practically two days. And so I couldn't break it down. Now it's instant. Now you have the notebook that goes in um, and the, the supervisor takes it in and you go into a, a boardroom and you start breaking down the game immediately afterwards. Heck, in the NFL... I mean, it's on all of the, they had thumb drives, which had the entire game on it. I mean, the NFL officials, you know, they go on an airplane and, and they would plug in their computer and they'd have all the game. And I, I used to, they'd have the game. I'd say, hey, be careful about this. You know, don't, don't be sitting next to somebody and say, yeah, I'm looking at that roughing the passer I call that made, you know, <laughs> against Tennessee. And, and then all of a sudden this guy's a Titans fan and, and, uh, starts wailing on him. Um, but, uh, it's all instant right now. And it's good because the, the sooner you can evaluate your performance when it's still in your head, I mean, that, that's of great value. And to be able to, to do it like right after the game with um, NFL supervisors and even Walter Anderson himself in many cases, 
to be able to break it down um, with them is really invaluable. Mike, we're, we're a simulcast video and radio currently, so I'll try to paint the picture for our listeners. But on the shelves behind you, you have a couple of footballs, maybe an award or two, uh, several books, some, some uh, pictures hanging on the wall. Are the footballs of any significance, or are they there for just aesthetics? Or is there a, is well, there a game ball that's been presented to you or something? Well, no, it's actually um, – Mike's getting up to go grab these for us. This Let's might have been my favorite here. Um, this football was actually when I gave my last seminar at uh, CBS, where I get all um, – I, I present to all the talent. And so they all signed a football, and my – that's awesome. My favorite signature was Bill Cower, who said, Mike, good riddance. <laughs> that <was it. laughs> that's, a, that's my that's my favorite uh, favorite ball. But yeah, I just have a few uh, momentums that uh, you know the 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 this is my favorite here. There's a from Fox, I got this beautiful crystal thing, and and from when I retired from the from the NFL, and they gave me a golf bag cover. They gave me all these beautiful retirement gifts, and then hired me the next day. That was the best of it all. <laughs> and I still I still got to keep them. Terrific. The only thing that would be better for that crystal uh, bowl that they they gave you would be some throat longages uh, in there for you. Oh right man. Kidding, get you some tea I with some it. honey, man. That you uh, you make me you make my voice sound uh, or, or feel sure. sore just listening to you. You you uh, you're a trooper, though. We appreciate you joining us today under the weather. Thanks. You got it. Take care. That's guys. awesome. Yeah, Mike Pereira there. Thank you for showing us the the football as well. I'd seen that up the previous one, and I'm like, well, sometimes you know you just put a football or two up there. Uh, like I've got one in my uh, home studio, Paul. They just got it's just an old NFL football has no significance whatsoever. But with him, I'm thinking, ah, there's two of them up there. I bet there is some significance. So the, the good riddance reminds me That's awesome. quickly. I was an extra in the deer hunter for people who don't know. When I was seven years old, the wedding and reception scenes, the wedding was at the church where my dad had been the priest, the Russian Orthodox Church. We had just left. He had just taken a new church in South River, New Jersey. Yeah. So I went back. His successor was the priest in the, in the wedding. I got everybody's autograph, Meryl Streep, Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, everybody in this, in this one autograph book. And the, the uh, janitorial guy who took care of the whole church and the whole property, I got every, everybody that was connected to the production, I got their autograph. And he wrote, to the worst boy in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and signed his name. So in the middle of this autograph, you know, Meryl Streep is like to the cutest boy on set, yeah. you know, and to the worst boy in the country. <laughs> it was just like that. Uh, good riddance. Is that in the backdrop of your home studio? Uh, no. I mean, I have a big box with the oh, whole you've got to get that photo thing album and everything. That's got to be in Paged there. Page through it one day. To the worst boy. <laughs> the worst boy in the in the country. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. We wrap up the show next and. Uh, we give some thoughts ahead of tonight's Game 4 between the Warriors and Grizzlies and an update on Grizzlies star, Ja Morant, next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Grizzlies and Warriors tonight on the Western Conference semis. It's a nine o'clock start. 8.30 face-off between the Predators and Colorado Avalanche. Colorado can win in a sweep. It'll be the first time the Predators have been swept in the postseason if they lose tonight. They better get ready to add that to the record. <laughs> it ends tonight. Man, it, I thought if they were... First off, I thought if they were going to win a game, the Preds, it would be game one. And then... That didn't happen. Then you proceeded to bet then, against them throughout I, game one bet against five times. And, and won. Um, and, and then lost whenever it was minus five and a half for the, for the first period. A little period. selfish. Like I did. Most, I did. Most I, I got too. cocky. I'm, I apologize. But um, I, I also, I was on board with Chad. When Chad was like, look, if, if they're going to win in this series, the first game back at home will be the game on Saturday. Which is the best game they played, right? Yeah. And, oh, no. Um, was that game two? That was game two. It was a tight series in game two. The great goaltending, uh, 2-1 final. Um, Saturday was just another complete blowout. And I'm left thinking, yeah, this is, this is pretty much a wrap. Based on how – Colorado has played to, up to every expectation I've, I've, I've read. And I was kind of rolling my eyes at the, oh, 34% chance of a sweep. And here they are. Would have been a good bet. Chance of a sweep. Would have been a good um, bet. You're not winning much, though, by betting that. No. Like, uh, and I'm thinking 0% chance that the Preds could, could sweep. I'm, I'm, you're, you're taking into account – I mean, there's always a chance at a crucial injury to one of the best players. Who knows, right? Uh, we know this is a league based on goaltending. And even with all that, the Preds still had a 0% chance at a well, sweep prior to the start of the series. Sweet, that, uh, I wouldn't be that surprised. I mean, I wasn't that surprised that it was a 0% chance, except that we saw them sweep as an eight. Right. We saw them sweep Chicago. Yeah, it's a league where we as, see as a eight seeds do but big things. If you don't have a good backup goalie and your goalie you're right. goes down, you're you're in trouble. And we were talking earlier um, that you know the frontline goaltending isn't isn't as good this year as it is often in the in the playoffs. And the Preds are down their top top guy, UC Soros, who's a very good goaltender, but has been out of this series with something he did to one of his legs. So. Dylan Brooks uh, is is back tonight for for the Warriors or excuse me for the Grizzlies uh, after injuring uh, Gary Payton Jr. the the Warriors guard um, he's addressed that where he says he didn't mean to hurt him but of course he was suspended for Game Three I didn't mean to hurt somebody if I could take it back I could I guess he means I would um, he says he has not talked with Gary Payton or uh, Gary Payton Jr. or any anyone else in the Warriors uh, since his flagrant foul. Again, he's back tonight. John ja Morant, still no official word. We haven't heard from Taylor Jenkins today, the Grizzlies coach, on on his availability. John ja Morant's availability. What a bummer, though. Um, you know this this not even a budding star anymore, a, a legitimate star in the NBA um, with a potential. Uh, you've got a series on the line. He, Grizzlies go down 3-1. The series, to me, is effectively over. It's a crucial game tonight, and you don't have your best player available for that. So. It's, a, it's a shame because it won't be nearly as entertaining a game, I don't suspect, as it, as it would be. Though, as we discussed earlier, they had a very good record without 20-5 and five. Morant yeah. during the regular season when they 
they knew they weren't going to have them, but they weren't playing playoff Golden State right. for right. a lot of that. So um, also, I don't expect good things. I, I, I was surprised, just like you were, Paul, uh, to learn that Barry, Barry Trotz was fired uh, by the, the New York Islanders. Um, look, uh, the, I'll, I'll tie it in locally. John Hines has an option year coming up for the Predators. I think we know John Hines' ceiling as a coach. If Trotz is available, I would, I would really look into potentially bringing him back. I would. I don't know how that, that relationship left, uh, how things have been repaired over the years with he and, and David Poyle or whatever's going on behind the scenes. Um, but I think John Hines, while he's done an okay job, I think we've seen what happens uh, when he reaches uh, his best. And his best is getting this team to the postseason, and then there's not much left, uh, um, a meat on the bone, so to speak. And I, we've seen the best from Barry Trotz since he left the, new, the, the Nashville Predators by – Winning a cup, I'd, I'd like to bring that back. May have better opportunities. Or, uh, you know, Darren McCarty told us earlier um, <clears throat> he'd love for the Red Wings to talk to him. So we'll see. I, I, I <clears throat> It'd be his fourth job, yep. uh, whatever, where, wherever he winds up, um, if he were to come back here, which I would imagine it has to be highly unlikely. Just I would I think so. I mean, people do but, wind up back. And uh, John Hines has done an amazing job at getting the best out of certain guys. We've seen him this year with Duchesne. Uh, Yossi has been great. Uh, Johansson, Forsberg. Um, but the team, the, the edges around the roster have not been refined. And, and that's, that's the next step for whoever. And who knows? They'll pick up the option for John Hines and move forward. But. Um, probably the, the Preds have an identity and a style and that's a testament to John Hines but are they going any, are they going places with John Hines as the coach doesn't feel like it no and again I, I I'm, a, I'm a fan of Trot, so that's still s- stuck with me there but man it, a chance to bring him back and make another run with Poyle that'd be fun they've also got ticket renewal issue yeah Facing a lot of people Again, who bought that, after their unlikely scenario, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Hey, uh, back at it tomorrow. Plenty of NFL discussion, plus John McClain on the show. Cynthia Freeland as well. I'm asking you, don't block the box, but please, please lock your locks.